0: Happy Friday! Welcome into Caleb and Kenny in the morning, thirteen eighty the fan and one hundred point nine FM. Caleb Hatch, Justin Kenny. I think I feel fired up on a Friday.
1: Not like, not like not like ranty,
0: up. but I'm just you know. I don't know if like if the more tired I feel, the more I just <laughs> amp myself
2: up. I really think that's what it is. You've uh, you've went on some uh, some tangents more than me this week. Yeah, which yeah, is very rare, but welcoming.
0: Yes, sometimes, you know, I just I hold in every and then it just, <laughs> it just all really comes out.
2: Yeah, <laughs> and it definitely has this week.
0: Four, six, eight, six, two is how you reach us on the text line this morning. Four, six, eight, six, two. If you're a Bears fan, send this. Your thoughts are way. Just type in CK first in your question or comment coming up on the show today. We'll get to the Bears in headlines. Also, Jonathan Taylor speaks on his Colts return. Uh, what he had to say there. Plus, the Big Ten reveals future football scheduling. IU gets no help. Purdue, eh, they get they catch some breaks. Meanwhile, the NFL makes some significant changes to their gambling policy. We'll reveal some of those changes later this hour. Also, in hour number two, the let's talk about the actual game, right? All this focus on Jonathan Taylor all week long. And the Colts have a, a big one against the Titans. Of the division, as it stands, still open. All the teams at 2-2. Two and two. We'll preview that matchup. Plus, Notre Dame and Purdue on the road. Previewing college football, why I think this is really a make-or-break game for Purdue's season, and Notre Dame should have no problem with Louisville. And uh, we'll talk with Brett Rump of the Sports Rush, also play-by-play voice of high school football in 1380 The Fan. Tonight's game of the week New Haven at East Noble. We'll have kickoff at 7. We'll preview that one. Other area matchups is we get set. In fact, this weekend will be the sectional pairing, so... Um, Next week, we'll have that to talk about. And before we leave you, uh, a monkey that was on the loose in Indianapolis has been caught. We'll give you the latest update there. Plus, I don't know if it's a, a fan favorite, but a, a, an, a menu item at a
2: fast food establishment is coming back. We'll get to all that and more. I know people that are, if I know what you're talking about, obsessed with this item. I, don't, I wouldn't say I'm obsessed but I would say that I will probably get one. Okay. We'll talk about it. Because I'm a sucker. At the end of the show.
0: <laughs> yeah. So total uh, sucker here. Y- y- yes. So I, I mean, that's the uh, that's the thing with all that, right? I mean, it, it's like you get it because of all the hype, but then you're disappointed, right? I I feel yeah. like that's how, how those things work.
2: Kind of like if you tune into this show. Oh, that's mean. That's
0: true. <laughs> Sometimes. <laughs> so you, speaking of speaking of, I'm I'm gonna be mean to you. You're gonna here, call me out. I'm for gonna last call you night? out. Yeah, because yeah. Uh, the, you are the same person as we recap Thursday night football. Bears get their first win of the season.
2: Hey, you're do well, te- you every me, October.
0: You're texting. me. Well, this is the first time they won in 346 yeah, days, if so I'm not the, mistaken. So
2: next October of 2025 is when they'll get their next win.
0: But Justin Fields. Uh, four touchdowns, nearly 300 yards. DJ Moore, an incredible game, eight catches, 230 yards, three touchdowns about time. In fact, Fields has a perfect quarterback rating when throwing to DJ. Moore. He
2: does. It's like 27 of 34, 580 some yards, five touchdowns, no picks, perfect QB rating. Yeah. Just keep feeding. Maybe
0: your... throw to him more. Yeah. I, I feel like he's finally getting that connection. And I think that could be the thing that turns the bears season around. Now, not that they're going to suddenly be a playoff team, but, no, you know, win and maybe be a, a bit better of a team. And, and obviously, they're going to have a good pick in the draft regardless. So that's the but positive. For either
2: them or, and or, or Carolina. Carolina.
0: So And they could have two if they stayed this bad. So we shall see. But I'm going to call you out because uh, we were recording our uh, racing podcast, New Track Record, last night. And the Bears game had started right as you were leaving and wrapping up. And I remember DJ Moore made a big play, and I, I cheered as you were walking out and then I get home and you're still and you're texting me about the bears game. And I'm like, "What? what is happening? And then and get I to halftime and then early third and Washington, you know, gets a quick touchdown and you're, you're stressed. I went to bed after that, but you, you come in this morning, you inform me, you, I'm not watching the bears anymore. <laughs> you watched the whole game. So you stayed up to watch the first one. I, I mean, at least they won. Because can you imagine how mad and disappointed you would have been (laughs) if you stayed up and they blew that twenty-seven to three halftime lead? Well,
2: I was trying to tell you to bet your four hundred one k on the Bears (laughs) losing this game when they're up twenty-seven to three, and then it was twenty-seven to uh, eleven right away in the third quarter. I said, "Here we go," and then it was twenty-seven to fourteen. I said, "Keep you still have time." And oh, the Bears were able to hold off the commanders. It, it should have been expected after the passing of Dick Buckus yesterday was announced that the Bears were going to win. I, I got sucked in. I, I swore off the Bears and I got sucked in to watching this yesterday. Partly I'll blame my son who kept asking me questions. And he was the one talking up the Bears when I got home. Dad, they're up 10. Oh, my gosh. Uh, okay. Yeah. So we. Turned it on, and I watched. and But he um, wasn't
0: even watching, right? It Was he just following on an he app? He was just
2: following on on, uh, on the ESPN app, I think. Okay. And then I turned it on when I got home, and we watched a little bit before bedtime. And then I just got sucked in because they were playing well. And, man, I, you never get to see that. So, yes, I, I admittedly, the guy who swore off the Chicago Bears watched the game last night. And it was an enjoyable game, if you're a Bears fan, for the first time in 12 months. You can say that. And it was it was not easy. They were down to their last running back on the roster uh, because Roshan Johnson got hurt, has a concussion, and you saw Khalil Herbert go out. Yeah, he got shaken up on a play, and uh, their third string guy got hurt. So you were down to your fullback effectively. In Kari Blazing game, who ha- only had like two carries in his entire career, five years experience coming into the game, and he was at the very least able to avoid a turnover, which could have turned the game in the second half. The Bears were down to they were down three starting guys in the secondary going into the game and lost guys throughout the game, so they were they were hurting in the secondary as well, but... For once, the uh, football gods were looking upon the Chicago Bears last night get the win. Justin Fields was good again last night, I will admit. Waited for him to make a mistake in the second half. He never really did. And another really good game for him. So all the Justin Fields lovers out there can text to say how wrong I am about Justin (laughs) Fields. Um, I'm not there yet, people. But seven of the last eight quarters, he's been pretty darn good. I'll give him that. And having DJ Moore, having a legit wide receiver one where you can throw fades to or just throw it up and a guy that's, that's going to that's gonna be able to fight for it and get it. And particularly that last touchdown last night where Justin Fields took a chance on third and short and threw it out to DJ Moore who was able to grab it from the defender and run for a touchdown. That's why you have a top wide receiver on your roster. And D.J. Moore proved his value last night to the Chicago Bears if people hadn't uh, hadn't already recognized it. So congratulations to the Bears. The only winless team now left in the NFL? Carolina. Carolina Panthers. We'll see if they can get a win this weekend.
0: And, and you mentioned Dit Butkus passing away at 80 years old. The Bears legend. Two-time NFL Defensive Player of the Year. Five-time first-team All-Pro. Eight-time Pro Bowler. Uh, one of the all-time Bears greats, obviously. So, to me, going into this game, I-, I thought, there's no way they lose this game. No way.
2: Well, it's the Bears, so anything is is possible. But, um, you know, uh, Dick Buckus is one of those players that is known purely for his last name. All you had to say is Buckus. There's very few players like that. And he was as dominant and as physical as, and as um, fundamentally sound as any linebacker in his day. You watch highlights of him. And I told you this yesterday. You see a lot of hits that you would not be able to get away with in today's NFL. But he transcended the position. in a long line of outstanding linebackers at the position for the Bears. Uh, a great person. Talked to him about a, man, about a about a decade ago now when he was at Bishop Lewis High School when Jalen Smith won the Butkus Award. And he came to town and as part of the presentation, got to talk to him, talk to him about the Bears and his frustrations. I can't imagine talking to him now about the, the Bears frustrations prior to yesterday. But just a, a, a dominant Hall of Fame player who's appreciated throughout the league. This is not just a, a Bears legend, but an NFL legend as well and lost him Yesterday at the age of 80 years old.
0: Elsewhere in headlines this morning, uh, you had Pat Fitzgerald. So from one Chicago area team to another, Pat Fitzgerald is, of course, suing University of of Northwestern. Knew it was coming. You knew this was coming down the pike, and uh, the thing I find most fascinating about it was that the release says that his his attorney says you know one of the the top coaches in college football uh <laughs> gonna push back on that a little bit he, he he's suing them for one hundred thirty million
2: dollars wrongful firing now is that that's way over his contract yeah so I don't know where they're coming up with that lost
0: earnings reputational and punitive damages uh, that's, okay. Gerald fired for cause back on July 10th, obviously as part of the, the hazing scandal that went public after that measly two week suspension that we all thought was kind of weird since it was announced right before a holiday weekend seemed very suspect. And of course it turned out to be very suspect. Um, but he's, he's filed a lawsuit. Obviously we'll see where this goes. And the part that's still weird is that AD Derek Craig is
2: still in his job. Yeah. We thought it'd be more of a fallout than what we've seen we see this in in another thing he's he he'll probably get some money he's not going to get 130 million but maybe he gets five million and i guess it's worth that for pat fitzgerald but does this hurt him in trying to get another job i don't know or if that 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 ship has already sailed and i mean he's gonna get hired somewhere yeah
0: but in college a, a major program in college football
2: probably not Probably not. What he did at Northwestern was very impressive, but it's Northwestern. I mean, he still only finished nine games over 500 in his career at Northwestern, sub 500 in the Big Ten. So yeah, for for Northwestern, it's good, but it's not like this is going to lead to a major opportunity elsewhere.
0: Meanwhile, in Major League Baseball, New York Mets, GM Billy Epler resigned yesterday in an MLB investigation into his use of a so-called phantom injured list placing players on the injured list with fake injuries long accepted but ethically murky part of baseball uh and he's been accused of doing this so we'll see uh what what comes out of the investigation but the mets obviously terrible as it was and now they don't have to worry about their gm
2: well i can guarantee you this wouldn't have happened if the mets were in the playoffs Uh, They were a colossal disappointment this year, and I'm sure this is part of the fallout. Uh, Associated with this story, Mm -hmm. or maybe just talking baseball, is the baseball playoffs too short in terms of series? Because I look at Milwaukee. Okay, You go through 162 games, you win the Central, and then you're out of the playoffs in a little over 24 hours. You lose the first two of the best of three to Arizona. And I know if you make this playoffs longer, they go into November and then that's oh, it's a problem.
0: already going into November. Yeah.
2: Further into November, but are the playoffs too short? Should the opening round be at at least five games?
0: Here's the thing. It'll switch to that eventually just because there's too much money to be gained playing the extra games. I mean, they went from no wild card to wild card team to a wild card game to now a wild card round. I'm sure they'll move from three to five games within the next few years.
2: I just don't think three games is enough. And people say, well, you only play one game in the NFL. I get it, but you only play 17 games in the, in, the, in the regular season. You play 162 games, the grind of the season, you make the playoffs, you're feeling great, and your season is over in a little over 24 hours with Milwaukee and Arizona. I just think a best of five is the minimum you should go in baseball. Because you've already played so many games, what's a couple more? And for the teams that get the bye, that's more time off. That's even better for the Braves, Dodgers, Orioles, Astros. Is they get to rest effectively an entire week, which I would think they would enjoy. I just don't like the three-game format. I just don't believe... All you got to do is steal game one and you're in really good shape. You really effectively only need two pitchers... Two starting pitchers to win a three-game series and advance to the divisional series. I, I don't think it's fair.
0: It was a very fast wild card round. I can see that (laughs) it 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 came and went, and it feels like if you didn't pay attention to the first day, you missed the entire thing.
2: Yeah, especially with back-to-back games. I mean, teams that would play at seven o'clock and then would play in an afternoon game the day after, which I think is what happened to to Milwaukee, and then they're they're out even before you knew the 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 series started effectively almost, but I would like to see that go to a five game series. The first round.
0: Meanwhile, in college football, North Carolina wide receiver, Tez Walker eligible to play in 2023. In fact, granted immediate eligibility by the NCAA. Uh, This, this case obviously became a very interesting thing following the NCAA and issues with transfers and whatnot. So he's a transfer from Kent state. He'd been denied because he transferred twice. Um, but he didn't play during the COVID-19, COVID-19 season of 2020 at North Carolina Central. They didn't have a season because of the pandemic. Now, the NCAA said there was new information in the case uh, that school officials failed to provide previously. I'm not sure I buy that. I think the NCAA just relented to public pressure here. Let's not kid ourselves. Uh, obviously, he missed the first four games, um, but the NCAA said in a statement, this could have been avoided if the university staff had submitted the information weeks ago. So immediate eligibility, this is the player who who transferred back home, and and again, his mother had a a medical problem, I believe, and that's really kind of been the flashpoint of this case.
2: Which is good to see, because he had a a long road to get an eligibility. Went to East Tennessee State out of high school, uh, was dropped from his scholarship after suffering a knee injury, then had a gap year, then went to North Carolina Central, never played in a season, because the twenty twenty season was canceled due to COVID nineteen, that tra- then he transferred to Kent State, played two years, and then he's transferring to North Carolina. So a lot of this was out of his control, and then him wanting to come home to take home take care of his his mom was a big deal. So good to see that he's going to be eligible. I would I would guess as soon as tomorrow will he play in the game for North Carolina tomorrow?
0: Perhaps I mean just depends on you know what kind of practice time and. Has he been able to spend time with the team? All those, I'm sure, factors. They'll host in Syracuse tomorrow. Very winnable game. Yeah, Like, North Carolina is a good team. I feel yeah, like they're, they're kind of under the in radar the this year. top 15
2: right now, I think.
0: Uh, meanwhile, in the NBA, Joel Embiid, the reigning MVP, committed to play for Team USA, the 2024 Olympics in Paris. Now, he was born in Cameroon, has French and American citizenship, so obviously a pretty big deal that Team USA got him to play with the team. Obviously, LeBron James, Steph Curry also considering playing with the team. So we'll see. But I think finally we could get some of the stars to play for Team USA again in the Olympics, which is about time.
2: Do you think having one superstar like Joel Embiid committing to it, do you think that leads to other ones jumping on board? Doesn't hurt. Yeah.
0: I mean, we haven't seen Steph Curry with an Olympic team, um, but it sounds like both LeBron and Steph are interested Heavy interest. Showing heavy interest. Yeah, so that one would maybe think. Maybe that they were all happen.
2: looking and say, we don't want to be the first ones, but somebody commit, and then we'll, the rest of us will jump on board. Yes. We'll yes. See. That said, what is it? 2024 Olympics? Mm-hmm. Okay, so it's just around the corner. Next summer? In yes. Paris? Okay. So
0: pr- pretty exciting if all three would be on that team. Um, that, would, that would add another element because Steph Curry has not played on Olympic team, if I'm not mistaken, which is kind of hard to believe.
2: Yeah. And the fact that, uh, the USA underperformed at, what was it? The FIBA world championships or whatever. Oh,
0: and that was kind of the, really the C team.
2: Yeah. It wasn't even the B team for the USA, but still some unfinished business for them.
0: Meanwhile, the Savannah bananas coming back to victory field in Indianapolis is part of their world tour in 2024, June 27th, 28th and 29th. The they were here bananas. this summer and, and had some massive crowds. So that's something if you want to check out a unique form of baseball, you could check that out. 46862, your text line number again, 46862. You can also stream us 1380thefan.com on the free 1380 the fan app. Just download that in your app store or your smart speaker. Also, don't forget you can reach us on Twitter, Caleb Kinney 1380s the show handle. My handle is Caleb Hatch. Justin's is J Kinney OPS and 13-80 the fan is the station handle. So that is how you get in touch with us. Meanwhile, Jonathan Taylor spoke to the media yesterday on his Colts return. Um, he he had a lot to say, but I think that the key thing that he said was he said, I'm a Colt right now, which... It's factual. Kinda, I mean, it's true, <laughs> but doesn't it kind of say it all? saying... Like I said, I'm here right now. (laughs) It really (laughs) brings home the point of how thrilled he is to to be there. He also went on to say that it's the media's job to speculate. Uh, The thing that matters is people within these walls, and it doesn't matter if I'm not committed because I'm here. So he's healthy. He also revealed that, which, yeah, one would hope so after all this time that he's fully healthy, kind of a given. But after all this time, I think the the biggest thing and I can take away is that he's he's and he also said no contract talk, okay, that's fine. He wasn't going to get into that, but the, the biggest takeaway I have from all this is that things don't really appear to be different even though that's what reports were earlier this week. Oh, that he's in the right headspace and he's turned over a new leaf, all all that kind of stuff doesn't seem like anything's changed in this time.
2: Well, I will give Jonathan Taylor credit yesterday because he did what he possibly could to not be a distraction. He said, I'm not talking about my contract. I will answer some questions, but I'm not getting into any, any details of anything. He could have used that press conference as a, 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 a beacon to him to try to get out at Indianapolis, and he didn't use that. He's trying to toe the company line while still being unhappy. And that's fine. My thing was with him returning this week is you wanted a guy that was going to be locked in, not be a distraction, not call attention to himself, not be a a guy that's just using the team as really a jumping off point in terms of trying to get somewhere else in the sense that he's just talk, 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 and not playing. But Jonathan Taylor... In my opinion, said all the right things yesterday, and then also didn't say anything that could be controversial. And for that, I give Jonathan Taylor credit. Because, like I said, he very easily could have went off the deep end and just railed on the Colts' inability to trade him, et cetera, et cetera. And he didn't do that. Hopefully that continues. Hopefully he continues to go into week after week, game after game, proving himself trying to get a contract wherever it is and that's fine but he didn't become I think the focal point in a negative light yesterday that he could have done and I'll give Jonathan Taylor credit for that
0: I I just can't help but nitpick though at the right now as far as if he wants to be a colt well I, I don't think he wants to that's fine yeah. but I mean you you could you could say, uh, I'm ready to get back to work. Like You could even like ignore the question because it's it's not like he he, he was in control of the, the press conference, right? So it's not like he had to say that. I just found that telling. Now, as far as him playing on Sunday, he said that's the question that we don't know.
2: Yeah, I, I mean, I, I, he said nothing that was untrue. He's a cult for now. Yeah, we know he once traded. So I, I didn't have any problem with what he said. If he, if he went in on and on about how he doesn't want to be in Indianapolis and doesn't want to play for this team, and they've they've betrayed him by not giving him a contract, all that stuff, and just being a distraction, then yeah, that's a problem. But he just kind of casually mentioned it and moved on, talked about his health, or lack thereof, but we think he's been healthy the whole time, it feels like. Talked about the city and and um, said all the right things about India and represented India and all that stuff. Going out and working his tail off is what he said. I thought for the most part, he handled it the way he should have. And hopefully that means that both parties can move forward amicably. Or as amicable as possible as you can get.
0: To me, it's about the optics. We know he doesn't want to be there, but saying the right things in a press conference is a way to relieve some pressure on yourself. And I think that whole right now thing is a thing that everyone's going to latch on
2: to, and rightfully so. You think, I, I just think it's, it's, it's a story because the media wants to make it a story and that's what they were there for yesterday. They were hoping for any soundbite, any single soundbite they could use to cause controversy and 98% of the stuff that Jonathan Taylor had to say yesterday was without controversy, but that one or 2% of the things that could cause controversy. That's what the media latches onto. And that's what I don't like. Should he have said it? Probably not. But is it true? Yeah. Could he have made it worse? Absolutely. So I think this is a dude that we know doesn't want to be an indie, but he knows he needs to perform. He said all the right things about performing for Indianapolis and making them a good team. I didn't have any problem with what he had to say yesterday.
0: He did go on to say, I don't think it matters. And if I say I'm committed or not, I'm here. If someone wasn't committed, they wouldn't be here. Right now, I'm here. So I... Well...
2: He hasn't been here since the start of the season, effectively.
0: Yeah, it's true. So I can question, you know, like that That sounds good, but you look at the quote on paper and it's like like you said, he wasn't there, he wasn't with the team. So how committed were you? If you were truly injured, and that's the thing that we're never going to truly know in all of this, is that was the injury really that you healed differently compared to someone else, a.k.a. your teammate EJ Speed, who had the same procedure in the offseason? season. Or was it that you just didn't want to play and held out and use this as a negotiating ploy? That didn't work. Yeah. Yeah, (laughs) that's true. It didn't work. But like, we'll never know the real truth about all of that unless he comes out and talks about it. But I think reality, of the situation, But
2: what it comes down to, if he comes out and produces for the Indianapolis Colts and helps them win games, nobody cares if he comes out and is a distraction and doesn't perform like last year, the majority of the season, then that's a problem. So nobody's going to care if the Colts win games and Jonathan Taylor is helping them get there. We'll see if he can do it. 46862, your text line number 46862.
0: And our number two will actually talk about the Colts matchup. All this discussion on Jonathan Taylor, and it's like, well, there's a big game, a division rival, a lot on the line, a lot at stake between the Titans and the Colts based on what they've done this season and within the series between the two teams as well. We'll get to more of that. In hour number two. Meanwhile, on the other side, the Big Ten has revealed future football scheduling. IU might as well have just stayed in the Big Ten East with how this played (laughs) out. Purdue, on the other hand, well, they caught some breaks. That's next. Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380 the fan, and 100.9 FM. Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380 the fan, 100.9 FM. Who is this? Is this Coolio? This is Coolio. Yeah. Some fantastic voyage. Come on, let's take a ride. Did you say it? Did he die like was it last year? Yeah. Okay. All right. I'm just making sure I yep. have that right. <laughs> he did. 46862 uh, is the text line if you have thoughts on future Big 10 ske- scheduling. Easy for me to say. Let us know the text line again 46862. Just type in CK first and your questions, comments, rants.
2: Um had a text come in about Jonathan yeah. Taylor. Sometimes guys make emotional decisions, realize they're wrong. Maybe he got back around his teammates and friends, realized how much he missed the locker room, the trips, decided he wanted to come back with the right mindset. Maybe we can hope for Colts fans that that's the Jonathan Taylor you're getting at the very least. Hopefully he's not listening to his management team and his agent. Cause I think that's the impetus of what caused a lot of these issues is listening to that guy. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Malky Kawa is not been your friend in these, Negotiations to say the least, but that's just me. Uh, already someone ranting about Purdue, uh, a text at 46862. Caught some breaks. Purdue plays five top 10 teams next year. Now, <laughs> I think all they, five of them, yeah. I think they overcounted Notre Dame, Penn State, Ohio State, Oregon, and Notre Dame. Well, obviously, they're only playing Notre Dame once, and they play at Oregon State for the year after Michigan, Ohio State, USC, Notre Dame. Then just look at 2027, doesn't seem like a break to me. Well, okay, first off. Programs are up and down outside of I'm I'm talking about the big four, yeah. which will be the big 10 next year. USC, obviously the fourth team in that big four. Washington is probably going to be down next year, right? Oregon Maybe. could even be down next year because they're replacing a quarterback among other players. Like I'm not expecting the same level of consistency. UCLA could be up next year.
2: Well, I mean, define up and down. All of a sudden, Oregon's not going to be a three win team. No, but I'm saying they're not, not gonna, gonna be, be a top I'm saying they're not gonna be top ten teams. Right, but it's highly unlikely. To me, I have no I have no feelings about I don't feel sorry for Purdue because for so long you've been in the weak West. Yes Okay. So now you're finally gonna get a dose of reality of actually playing multiple really good teams over the course of the season. Go ask Indiana how it's been having to play Penn State and Michigan and Ohio State all the time. That's why it's hard to feel
0: bad. You look at IU, their future schedules. So this is just the, again, we're looking at the big four because these are the games that matter. You have Michigan and Ohio State in 2024. You get Penn State in 25. Then you have Ohio State, Michigan, and USC in 26. Michigan, Penn State, and USC in 27. And Penn State in 28. So uh, it's tough. IU's protected rival, obviously, Purdue. Purdue has IU, and then also Purdue, Illinois, which a lot of people don't understand. They play for the tiny cannon. The schools are hundred miles apart.
2: It's a ah, tiny it's, cannon.
0: It's a, it's a good rivalry game. But to me, if, if I'm IU, like who needs the big 10 East there, they, they will keep having it. <laughs> it's, it's not going away. If you're IU. And so when people wanted to blast IU for them dropping the Louisville game, which had happened months and months before this all kind of came out, what a month or so ago, like that was known information and then it just kind of resurfaced for some reason. Um, people wanted to to blast IU, and here's the thing. Starting next year, if I'm IU, I'm playing an FCS school, a Mac school, and then either a weak Power 5 program or another you know, group of five kind of team. Every year for my non-conference. And if
2: I'm Purdue, you do the same you thing. You do the same thing. If your goal is to get to six wins... You have to do it. So I use non-conference next year. F- Florida International, okay. At well, Louisville. Are they done? Yeah, that's that's no longer that's no longer on there. Yeah, so that'll be replaced, I'm sure, by an uh, FCS and Charlotte. Group. So they have FIU and Charlotte right okay, now. Two group of five. Schools, they could probably so. add Indiana State to that. Exactly. Is probably then 2025. You look at Indiana, Old Dominion, and Indiana State, and then. The game that was formerly Louisville. So Old Dominion, did they just move they up? just from F- moved up. Okay. Yes.
0: And then obviously, Indiana and then who States. is the... Indiana
2: State. Indiana State. And yes. who is the third? Uh, well, it was Louisville, so they'll have to okay. replace that. And then 2026, 20, you look at it. Colorado State, Ball State, UConn. Yeah. Okay. So I use doing what they need to do to try to find three wins in the non-conference, if at all possible. That's what the game that Purdue is going to have to play. So I don't want to hear anything from Purdue fans about how difficult it's getting and unfair it is. I don't think anybody's saying unfair, but you got away with playing in the weak-ass West for so long that now you're finally going to be thrown into the deep end of the Big Ten that IU's been trying to navigate for a long time, at least since the divisions came out. So you look at Purdue's non-conference next year, Indiana State, Notre Dame, Oregon State. Oregon State on the road. Yes.
0: That's tough. That's tough. That's a tough, like you have one gimme game, obviously Indiana State, and then two really tough teams. And then you look at they have in, in, in they don't have, um, let's see, in, in 24, so you look at the, the Big Ten with with the big four teams, they have Ohio State and Penn State. Obviously, I meant, we mentioned Notre Dame as well. Uh, in 25, they have Ohio State, USC, and Michigan. In 26, they have just Penn State. In 27, they have Penn State and Ohio State. And In 28, they have Michigan and USC. Notice how there's what only let's see one year where they have three out of the four where
2: IU has that multiple times. Yeah, so they're still benefiting. It seems like
0: so. I, so I, 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 that's that's my thing here. And, and someone texting in uh, CK, is it me or do Purdue fans cry about everything?
2: Um, uh, I mean, uh, yeah, uh,
0: I think here, so. I, Not I, all I, Purdue fans.
2: There's plenty of IU fans that cry.
0: Yes, but on, on this football sense, again, I'm not blaming IU for what they're doing with future schedules. And we look,
2: well, we looked at at the Big Ten and with them adding the teams they're adding, you, let's talk about USC, Oregon, and Washington, namely, is the depth of the conference is now deeper in terms of the upper end. What's it, what it does is it pushes the IUs and Purdues down. And that's why the end, the expansion in the Big Ten and the deletion of the divisions is two terrible things for Purdue football. They've been able to win a division championship as re- recently as last year, by not, even though not being a good football team. They're not that good. But the schedule would play out, and they were just average enough to beat a fair amount of those average teams. They were the best of the average squads last year. But you can't hide anymore in the new Big Ten. You can't hide and win a division. It's it's going away, partly because the divisions are going away.
0: Partly Purdue's, because
2: the, the the schedule gets innumerably more difficult.
0: Purdue's non-conference schedule in 25, to put it in perspective, all the, the crying and complaining. Uh, they have Ball State, UConn, at Notre Dame that's smart. That's, a lot, that's, that's a lot easier. You play one power five type school slash, you know, Notre Dame, I get it. They're an independent. They're not technically under the power five, but they, they get grouped into all those teams. Then in 26, wake forest, Indiana state, Notre Dame. All right. Don't see any issues yep. there in 27, Notre Dame then North Carolina, then Miami of Ohio.
2: That could be problematic. You got to play Notre Dame and North Carolina.
0: And then in 28, Western Illinois, wake forest and Notre Dame. So, They've also softened up their non-con schedules for the most part,
2: and rightfully so. But you look at let's even just between this year and and next year. You look at the Big Ten schedule for Purdue. Okay, it's Wisconsin, Illinois, Iowa, Ohio State, Nebraska, Michigan, Minnesota, Northwestern, Indiana. You have to play two big teams in Purdue or Michigan and Ohio State. Five and four is possible. Yeah. Then you look at next year. So let's go through it. Indiana, or Illinois, Indiana, Michigan State, Ohio State, Nebraska, Northwestern, Oregon, Penn State, Wisconsin. It, you're
0: looking at four and four, five four or and five. five and four. So Either it's going one. In the
2: wrong direction. Then you look at 2025, which is, it is murder's row, in my opinion. So you go at Michigan, Minnesota, Northwestern, Illinois, Indiana... Ohio State, Rutgers, USC, Washington. I still have them going five and four. Oh, no, I don't. <laughs> you, you have this, uh, this opinion of Purdue that's much higher than, than I do. They've gotten by by being in the West. And reality is about to set it. I think. But we'll see. But for a long time, not to uh, say a long time, but for several years with the divisions, Purdue's been able to escape by. I, I've said it. Purdue is closer to being Indiana than they, are, than they are even Iowa, in my opinion. Yes. They're closer to being Indiana. It's all about the division they're in. Several
0: texts rolling in on this. Um, IU fans cry because they suck. Purdue fans cry because we're halfway competitive and never bridge the gaps. Okay. Uh, someone else just curious, why aren't we considering Oregon and Washington? I think they're better than USC. Yeah, they might be better than USC this year. I think traditionally, but I'm talking yes. Tradition, programs, like... I would put Oregon, like when Wisconsin's up, I put Oregon on that same tier with Wisconsin. Yeah. They're in the next best. Same with Washington. Um, same with Iowa when they're good. Uh, Nebraska, if they're ever good again, would be in that tier. Uh, they're not in that that top four. Like they are not one of the... Oregon is not one of the 10 biggest brands in college football. Well, I would... Uh, it's close because of Nike. It's, it's close, but I don't think they're on the same level as i mean he, here's the teams i would put above them okay you obviously have notre dame usc you have michigan you have ohio penn state, state ohio state um you have texas you have oklahoma you have alabama that's 8 georgia uh, georgia and then that 10th they can maybe slot in at 10 i mean uh, you could I argue you a lot, florida, I, I would say florida miami. or lsu or miami or florida state uh, would all be above Oregon as far as the biggest brands. Now, Nike has helped push Tremendous. them up close to that top 10. You, I, could, I could buy an argument for 10th, but all those other schools I listed, well ahead of them.
2: I think you look at Washington, and well, what they're doing now is impressive, but they're two years removed for four and eight seasons. So once they lose the Heisman winner, Michael Penix Jr., and de- all depends on if Kalen DeBoer gets a bigger job somewhere too, although I don't think he should leave, Well, not now, no. No. Well, I know, but now you're going into the Big Ten. So, could be innumerable. And you're losing Michael Penix Jr. So, it's not like Washington has been a traditional power year in and year out. They were good towards the end of Chris Peterson's uh, reign, but, um, what was it, Jimmy Lake after him? Yeah. It was terrible. Um, And that was
0: like the handpicked successor, right?
2: Right. So, it was very bad. So... Washington isn't that traditional power that USC is, but um, it, it, I guess the point is it, it's soon to become very, very difficult in the big 10.
0: Oh, Oh, uh, someone texted in. y'all forgot. Uh, no, no, I did. I said Texas and Oklahoma. Yeah. Uh, the, in terms of brands. Uh, yeah. Yep. Yeah. They definitely are, are in the top 10. If I didn't mention them, I thought I did because I think I said Texas and Oklahoma grouped them you together
2: did. Did them together. So, yep.
0: Oregon to me at best is 10th at best.
2: Uh, CK IU will always be the bottom feeders of big 10 football. It, the, uh, history says, yes, they will be. But history also says that Purdue isn't necessarily a, a world beater either in the big 10. And unfortunately with these new schedules, Purdue's ability to compete at the top of the league goes away because you were able to compete in that division Because it was a mediocre division. Now everybody's being thrown together, and even if you go a year where you only have three or four Big Ten losses, you're still
0: out of it. Because they're taking the top two teams. They're not going by divisions anymore, which has completely changed how this is going to go. Oh, someone mentioned Clemson. Yeah, Clemson would definitely be in the top ten, at least... Eh, yeah. I don't know I, if I'm going Clemson yeah. over
2: Oregon. I really don't.
0: I mean, they they'd have to sustain something more in the next couple of years to to be that. But Clemson right now, yes, would be in the top ten above Oregon. I I would agree with that based on their recent su- success. But they'd
2: have to continue that. Um, Mi- Misery loves company, and I use like thank you Purdue. Now you're going to have to deal with what we deal with year to year when we're in the East. Is now you're going to have to play some heavy hitters. Not just one big game or this year, two big games. You have to face multiple, three or more every single year. Whether it's going to be Ohio State, Michigan, USC, Washington, Oregon, all of those. Penn State is now you're going to have to face at least three of those a year where you are getting away with facing two at most in the West. So you better big get I, I t- you know, Tiller Tunnel better bring in a lot of uh, good recruits if you're going to uh, compete in the new Big Ten.
0: I will say this: the Big Ten got the scheduling right. They they protected the rivalries. They added Oregon, Washington, which is a given. Um, and then it's a five year rotation, so everybody plays at least once home, in you know on, within a, a five year rotation. So they figured that part of it out. Unfortunately for Purdue and IU. It makes it that much harder for them to compete for Big Ten championships. Period.
2: So we texting in about Purdue beating Ohio State. Yes, they did five years ago,
0: and they'll do it again here in a couple weeks.
2: Uh, the, according to you, <laughs> yes, they will. But it's also a series that is forty-one to fifteen in favor of Ohio State. So just say, yes, Purdue beats them occasionally, but more often than not, Ohio State's beating Purdue.
0: I just think overall that like just because the Big 10 got this right it doesn't make it any easier for IU and Purdue and that's just the reality that they are in now moving forward with conference expansion that if you're already one of the smaller fishes in the pond when it comes to football which is all this is about you're you're going to continue to see your margin for error slip away like Purdue had a high margin of error the last couple of years in the Big 10 West Yeah. Finally advanced last year.
2: Well, and this was the thing is you go back to 2018 and that was the big game for Purdue that year. They didn't play Michigan. They didn't play Penn state. They played Wisconsin. Was Wisconsin any good? I know they obviously didn't
0: beat Wisconsin.
2: No, they, they lost him in overtime. Wisconsin was eight and five that year. And so not very good. That was the game for Purdue that year. The toughest game on the regular season schedule in 2018. And it was a huge win. I remember watching that in a bed and breakfast on my 10th wedding anniversary weekend, watching Purdue beat Ohio State. It it was great to watch. I remember watching that on
0: the couch. I was sick. (laughs) Really? Yeah. I was starting to feel better, but I was sick.
2: But that was the game for Purdue that year. That was their toughest opponent. But let's fast forward to 2024, six years later. Even if you somehow go into Columbus and beat Ohio State, next year you also still have on the schedule in the big 10 oregon and penn state so it's not just one game anymore because you play a cross division game and it's a top opponent and then you go back to the confines of the mediocre west you're not doing that anymore if you're purdue so even if next year you somehow beat ohio state at the shoe you also then have to host oregon host penn state even go to wisconsin you have to go to oregon state in the non-conference you host Notre Dame. So this is what I'm saying. Like all now, the schedule is not just one big game. You have to win. And if you do, you can get to eight wins. It is now marked with big games with the big 10 expansion.
0: Text coming in at four, six, eight, six, two, how much does facilities and infrastructure hurt IU football?
2: It's a great question. We've been Um, over that with the, we uh, we
0: talked about that. I feel like a few weeks back, but they're getting a new football-only weight facility that's set to open early next year. That will help a ton. However, their practice facility, not up to par for modern standards, and that's something that is holding them back.
2: But I think what we've seen is with the recent renovations for Memorial Stadium, that was supposed to help, right? The, um, the weight room as part of the closed part of the bowl was supposed to, quote-unquote, help. But in the end, it comes down to winning football games. You can do all the flashy stuff you want behind the scenes, and it is going to open some recruits' eyes that maybe otherwise wouldn't be open to it. But in the end, it comes down to winning football games. And IU doesn't do it enough. And it's never really done it enough. Lifetime, it's almost 200 games under 500. So IU has a history of not being good in football. And that, unfortunately, is what they're known for on the, on the gridiron throughout the country, right? How do you change that? I don't know, but it's not like a recent thing. We're not talking Nebraska, where they're in a down stretch right now, but traditionally, they've been good. We're not talking Colorado, where they've been bad, but traditionally, or at least back in the 80s, 90s, they were good. IU has never been good. Except for a season here or there.
0: And they did I mean, they were good for a stretch when they had Anthony Thompson, obviously, and when Bill Mallory was the coach. But that was really the only golden era. Yes, they made a Rose Bowl in, in what, sixty eight, but that's that's been the but the Bill, gist of their success. I mean
2: Bill Mallory is is talked about like he's Bill Belichick. The guy went under five hundred <laughs> at IU. He was sixty nine and seventy seven. In the Big Ten, he was thirty-nine and sixty-five, and we talk about Bill Mallory like it was the golden age because, of IU football. Because it was, and, but but that's that, that's how bad IU football is. And When you go, man, the days of Bill Mallory were just something different. And he he was not. I mean, they went to six bowl games and only won two of them. Finished in the in the top twenty-five one year under Bill Mallory. Yet he's talked about like he was the he's 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 Newt Rockney. <laughs> or something is, but that's, that's the expectations of IU football is, Oh my gosh, if we just had Bill Mallory, he was mediocre at best.
0: Uh, someone texting and CK should have original big 10 teams in one half and the misfits in the other here, here's my proposal. You have two divisions. One are all the teams from the pac 12. The other is all the teams that were in the big 10 before this expansion. You drop Maryland in Rutgers. So you have 12 and then you have two divisions, and then the two division winners play each other, and then the winner from each side plays each other. There you go. It'll never happen.
2: No, they're not dropping, they're not dropping the Northeast teams because they still value that market considerably. But I, I don't hate the idea. I, at the very least, it should be geography if they would have divisions. I'm surprised they aren't going with divisions because just an 18-team conference is just kind of weird. But um, that's what it's going to be starting next year. Just, just overall looking at it, IU's going to continue to struggle, and Purdue is about to start struggling because the schedules get more and more difficult. But I agree with you in the sense that they're going to have to dumb down their non-conference to get to six wins some years. It's not as desperate as IU is, but I do think Purdue is going to have to look at that non-conference schedule a little bit differently.
0: Obviously, you can't make changes to next year, but that Notre Dame series that get changed moving forward, we shall see something to keep an eye on. Coming up on the other side, the NFL makes significant changes to their gambling policy. Uh, could this be something in, in, in line with what the NCAA has done uh, and what they're looking at? So we'll take a look behind the numbers here and what they're proposing and why it's a much better deal than what they had before. That's next. Caleb and Kenny in the morning, thirteen eighty the fan. In 100.9 FM. A lot of texts coming in about our spirited discussion on the Big Ten future scheduling. uh, A few others. You guys just said it yourself. IU has never been good. So why do you keep talking about them? Because people text in about IU football. football. That's the thing. Like people, it gets a reaction. People have opinions. Uh, Someone else, y'all should take callers. Um,
2: Maybe. I don't know. If we had a dedicated producer that could screen you bozos, yes,
0: yes we then, would consider. Uh, then maybe
2: we would. <laughs> <laughs> I would love to talk to people for sure, but you never know. All it takes is one crazy to have it all come crashing down. That's true. That's true.
0: Meanwhile, the NFL some changes to their gambling policy, possibility of a lifetime ban from the NFL. That's for game fixing, obviously. That makes a, makes yeah. a lot of sense. Uh, reductions in penalties for betting on other sports. The first would be two games without pay. The second, six games without pay. The third, suspended without pay for one year. And this this comes after the NCAA's mentioned that they're reviewing their gambling policy as well. So um, this is probably the right move here. And and these changes, I think, will go a long way. I think the NFL realized they kind of got to look at at how things are done. Um, some of the other obvious things that they're they're working on indefinite suspension for betting on nfl football minimum of a year or minimum of two years if player bets on an nfl team involving or nfl game involving its team actual or attempted game fixing permanent ban inside information and tipping indefinite suspension minimum of a year then the third party or proxy betting indefinite suspension minimum of one year and then i went into the betting on other than nfl football um penalties seems fair i I think an adjustment was needed very much needed and laid out clearly, which yes. I think is the most important. That thing. that's the that's the important thing, and that's what
2: the NCAA is working on doing right now. Yes. Um, do you so real quick? Yeah. Uh, Girl Scout cookies. What's your go-to? Ooh ooh. Thin mints. Uh,
0: Samoa's. And is, is that that's like the coconut and chocolate, right? Uh huh. And then also the like peanut butter. Yeah, patties yeah. are also, what's weird is they're called different things depending on the region. Oh, so really? I think those are also called like tag
2: alongs, I believe. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, those Thin are my Mints go-to. in the freezer. Yes. Clutch.
0: Yes. That Clutch. is the best.
2: But they are discontinuing Raspberry Rally. That was the new one from like a year or two ago. Yes. Introduced last year as a sister cookie to the iconic Thin Mints. No Raspberry Rallies this year. So if you are a fan of those, you're going that's, to have to uh, find another cookie.
0: That's not really a, a big deal to me. Um, but it is interesting. Girl Scout cookie season comes around, and one of the other program directors in the building, his daughter's always selling cookies, and he's got a sign-up sheet outside his office and everything. And <laughs> so we stock up.
2: Yes, the price going up this year, six dollars. Wow, be five.
0: Yeah, it's been five for a long time. the yeah. The other ones that are good, the s'mores, those yes, are those really are, good. Are really good. The shortbread ones those.
2: too. Mm-hmm. But yeah, the s'mores ones are clutch. For sure, but uh, I try not to stock up too much because I will eat every single cookie. Did you try the toast? Yay! What they're, are those? It's like the they're French new, toast yeah, ones. Yeah, yeah they're they're
0: newer. They're pretty good. And then tree foils. I like tree foils as well. What are the tree foils? Shortbread. Oh, okay. Yeah, they have like the Girl Scout logo. Oh, okay. On them. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, they have different names depending on where the bakery is located. So like peanut butter patties or tagalongs. Caramel delights or Samoas, and then Dosidos or peanut butter sandwich. See, there you go. But I, uh, I don't think I try the, Adven- the adventurefuls. Also, I've, I don't nice. think I've ever seen caramel chocolate chip. I don't think I've ever seen that.: me neither. But That's on the Nobody website. can
2: say no to a Girl Scout trying to sell Girl Scout cookies. So stock up while you can. Uh, someone with the thought on the sports gambling, and then we'll move on to hour number
0: two. Technology made it so easy for anyone to bet from almost anywhere. These leagues are just keeping up with the times.
2: At some point, you're going to have a major fix at, in a major sport. At some point.
0: Well, at some point again.
2: Again, yes, <laughs> in the NBA. Uh, but you're the the NFL at least has has laid out clear cut rules and punishments.
0: The NBA's had several. I mean, the, yeah. the, the Fort Wayne Pistons were accused of throwing a, a Game 7 in the NBA Finals in the 50s. Yeah. Obviously, you had the official, um, Tim Donahue, right? Yep. Um, and then you go back to Major League Baseball. They've had their own scandals with that. Oh, uh, the Black Sox. You, the Black Sox is the obvious one in 1919. Um, but yes, at some point, we'll have something happen again. In, in, in modern day. Coming up on the other side, our number two, the Colts and Titans look at the matchup. Something's got to give between these two teams. There's a lot of interesting numbers back and forth, especially with these teams playing each other. Titans getting some players back. The Colts obviously could get Jonathan Taylor back. We'll take a look at the matchup by the numbers on the other side. Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380 the fan and 100.9 FM. Hour number two here on a Friday. Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380 the fan and 100.9 FM. Caleb Hatch. Justin Kinney thanks for being with us a lot to dive into this hour a preview of Colts Titans enough Jonathan Taylor talk will preview the game coming up here shortly plus Notre Dame and Purdue on the road previewing their matchups in college football this weekend and Brett Rum will give us a preview of high school football week number eight New Haven at East Noble our 1380 fan game of the week Pre-game at 6 with the Parkview Sports Medicine Tailgate pre-game show. Kickoff at 7 from East Noble. Brett Rump on the call. He'll join us around 8.30. And before we leave you on a Friday, not one but two fun stories. Mobo the monkey has been caught in Indianapolis. I'll give you the details there. And a fan favorite is coming back in the fast food arena.
2: Mmm, can't wait. Um, I had a text during the break. CK, nineteen seventy nine Holiday Bowl. Your Indiana Hoosiers were champs. Yes, they were <laughs> under Leak Orso. I think they beat BYU in that game. That's um, actually a big
0: win. Like the Holiday Bowl used to mean a lot. Well, it bowl games mean as in general anymore.
2: used to mean yes. a lot. But since then, since nineteen seventy nine, that is what forty four years. Mm-hmm. IU has won two bowl games. I was going to say I was going to say two or three. Both of them under Bill Mallory. The you know. And you you think of of all the
0: bowl games that they've been to in the last, you know, ten to fifteen years, which is actually quite a bit, right? Hasn't
2: been like five or six. Uh, yeah. So since 2015, they've been in four. Oh wow. So including three under Tom Allen. I think about all the bowl
0: games, even going back to Bill Lynch, and they lost a heartbreaker against Oklahoma State. Um, you have the infamous, uh, kick was good game against Rutgers. Uh, this would have been what the Pinstripe Bowl twenty fifteen. That was Duke.
2: They played. Oh, that was Duke. Okay. Yep.
0: Um, I just it's easy to think all the bad moments for IU coming against <laughs> Rutgers because that's usually true. Um, you have you have the close the loss to by, Utah. Yeah, the close. Yeah, that was a, a a late loss there, and that yep. was played at what Levi Stadium, but it wasn't the
2: Holiday Bowl. Right, it was, it was the
0: was, Foster Farms Foster, Bowl. Okay, that's what I thought. And then of course. The Gator Bowl,
2: yep. well, where you should have won the game. Lost by what, one?
0: Yeah, it was a brutal ending. Brutal second half, really.
2: And then they were close in 2020 with Ole Miss.
0: Yep. Another winnable that. game.
2: So it's not dominated by routes, but yes, since that 1979 Holiday Bowl victory, the uh, Indiana Hoosiers have only won two bowl games.
0: You th- you, I know a lot of people like to focus on Notre Dame and their bowl losing streak. They've obviously won several since then, but they haven't won a, a quote unquote major bowl game since what, like 88 or 89 or something like that. Maybe no, 92, I think was the last time 92 uh, yeah. orange bowl. Is that right? Yeah. The orange, bowl. um, and they played in, you know, several big bowl games since then. Oh, and two in the college football playoff over in the BCS.
2: So yeah, you could tear, tear, tear apart, uh, Notre Dame in that respect too.
0: For sure, four six eight six two. Your text line number four six eight six two. Coming up on Sunday, the Colts host division rival Tennessee. Obviously, a lot changes if Jonathan Taylor plays in this game, but that's not the focus here. Let's focus on the series because there are a lot of weird stats that I, I was able to dig up. The Titans have won five straight, including four in a row at Lucas Oil Stadium. But the Titans this year zero and two on the road. The Colts zero and two at home. The Colts have actually lost six straight at home. Their last win at home was last year, October 16th, against the Jaguars. So the Colts have almost gone a full year without winning a home game. Not quite Bears-level bad of going (laughs) nearly a full calendar year of winning a game, but it's been a bit. And Derrick Henry against the Colts, he's gone over 100 yards, six of his last seven. The one game he didn't, he had like 68 yards, and it was revealed the next day he suffered a broken foot. So I think he gets a pass on that one, and they get a couple of offensive linemen back as well. Peter Skaronski, the the rookie, comes back from a concussion, and then Nicholas Petit uh, Friere uh, comes back from his gambling suspension, mm-hmm. which I believe was shortened, right? Because wasn't it supposed to be six, and now yeah, it's four. Now it's four. Which with, we talked about last hour, the NFL changing their their gambling uh, policy. Find that fascinating. Another fifty fifty game for the Colts, in the NFL, where the margin, especially for a team like the Colts is already razor thin.
2: Well, for this game, you look at, is Jonathan Taylor playing? It sounds like he will. Uh, Tennessee coming off that dominant win over the Bengals mm-hmm. last week. Derrick Henry, a couple touchdowns, had a pass reception for a score as well. His first 100-plus-yard rushing game of the season last week. Can Tennessee continue to run the football? And you look at Ryan Tannehill, can he continue to not turn the ball over?
0: Yeah, Tannehill is interesting because in Tennessee's wins this year, he's completed 77.5% of his passes, 486 yards, two touchdowns, one pick. The Titans' losses this year, 49%, 302 yards, no touchdowns, three picks. Now, his career against the Colts, though, he's 6-1. and it has been really, really good, 67%, 183 passing yards per game, 12 touchdowns, only four interceptions, again, in seven games against the Colts in his career.
2: It feels like every week we have... Sorry, as
0: the Titans quarterback, that's the clarifier.
2: It seems like every week we have another uh, goal for Anthony Richardson to achieve. It's almost like we continue to move the goalposts in terms of how he performs and if it's a success or failure. This week you look at a quarterback that comes in leading a team that's lost seven straight games at home has lost five straight games to Tennessee, and you're saying, okay, is Anthony Richardson good enough to end those streaks and play well at home and get the Colts to a divisional win? And I imagine if he does not do that, if he plays mediocre at best, we'll have some texters on Monday morning talking about the ineffectiveness of Anthony Richardson. But, It's tough to judge him game by game. We kind of have to judge him on the whole. He had three total touchdowns last week in that loss to the Rams. Played really well. Also was beat up again. Didn't leave the game at least. So what do we get from Anthony Richardson this week? We talk about consistency with the Indianapolis Colts in general. We want to see consistency with Anthony Richardson. If he's able to put another good game together, Preventing turnovers, not turning the ball over, and and multiple touchdowns like he had last week against the Rams, you feel pretty good, win or lose, out of this game. But how much is this team uh, buoyed by having Jonathan Taylor back in the lineup? Does he make as big of an impact as some people want to think he will, including Jonathan Taylor himself?
0: I think if he plays, I think he makes a huge impact because I think it frees up Anthony Richardson one You don't feel like he has to be as much of a factor in the running game because lanes will open up for Taylor. That also will open up for Richardson more naturally. And then also, I think it helps his completion percentage because the Colts have a a home run hitter in the backfield. So Richardson is completing nearly 57% of his passes so far this season. He's been up and down in games this year. Uh, 65% his debut was great. A 60% in game two, but again, limited snap-wise, but it was off to a really, really good start. Last week, terrible first half. Great second half, 44%, 11-25. So it's been a mixed bag, but I really think what we'll see is that it will help him be more confident. If Jonathan Taylor's back there, it will also help open up the passing game that much more. And I think that's what Anthony Richardson needs, and I think that will help make the throws easier, therefore improving the completion percentage. Because, again, the thing everyone harped on, and rightfully so, was that he came into the NFL completing 54% of his passes. And that was a problem. And so far, he's slightly above that. He is a rookie. We're not talking like a lot of throws here, 72 on the season. But you want to see that number trend up. And I think that will help with that number having... Uh, a, a guy who can do a lot more as a running back, not just in the the rushing game that's a given, but also in the help out in the passing game.
2: I think he can make a big difference if he comes in, but I think it also still comes down to that offensive front. That offensive front can block if it plays effective, then the Colts will have a good chance of moving the ball with Jonathan Taylor in the backfield. If they don't, then they're going to have a lot of problems. and people will put that on Jonathan Taylor, but not necessarily fair. That offensive line has to perform. And you look at defensively, you've lost Dallas Flowers for the season. I think looking at that secondary, this, year, this week may not be the week when that secondary gets tested, but you like to see that young, young defensive back group play well. Because It'll get
0: tested the following week, though, against the Jags.
2: Yes. <laughs> but you look at that secondary and the importance of being able to get stops and prevent big plays, and there's going to be a lot of responsibility on a lot of young dudes for the foreseeable future in that defensive backfield. And Tennessee isn't that team that's going to strike deep a lot, but if you can't stop the Titans from doing it, then you're definitely not slowing down other teams like the Jacks.
0: And you, we talked about the Titans getting some guys back on offensive line. Meanwhile, for defensive line for the Colts, probably not going to have Quiddy Pay on the defensive line. So the pass rush uh, is is going to be hurt. So we'll see how that plays out. We'll see. Can't so, wait. I, I mean, and the worst part is Danico Autry, former Colt, is just tearing it up in Tennessee. If you're a Colts fan, I mean it's it's gotta stick.
2: Well, yeah, and you got Stefan Gilmore in Dallas that you that you traded, and it worked out for Dallas because they needed to, to replace an all-pro back there. Uh, so it's worked out for other teams, but you look at the Colts and what their deficiencies are, and that secondary is significant in terms of the issues. 46862,
0: the text line number 46862. Ultimately, for me, this this comes down to how I f- felt about the game last week. And that was if Anthony Richardson played last week, I thought they were going to lose. Um, yep. If Gardner Minshew played last week, I thought they'd have a chance to win. Uh, this week, it, it's, it's similar. If Jonathan Taylor plays and is truly ready to go this week, I think they should win. If he doesn't play, I, I don't feel very confident. And, and the biggest thing to me is, and the Colts, as you mentioned, can they avoid the slow starts? We thought that was a Frank Reich team problem, but that seems to be just a Colts franchise
2: problem. It does, right? I mean, that was the the bugaboo on Frank Reich is, how does he get this team to play better earlier? And it just seems to be the same issues uh, with Shane Steichen, at least so far. The Colts are just good enough to beat a fair amount of teams in the NFL. But they're also not good enough or or average enough to lose to pretty much anybody in the NFL. So every game seems like a pickup for the yes. Colts,
0: doesn't it? It's really hard. Like outside of to me, the Houston games that they should win, and the Carolina game that they should win, every other game feels up in the air. Like I, I looked through the schedule, in Cincinnati we thought would be good. Well, that that even feels like a pickem now. Um, the Rams game felt like a pick It was Baltimore. They won when you like, they're going to win one that they shouldn't win and lose one that they shouldn't lose. That's how that always plays out. And then everything else feels very much in
2: the middle. But what we saw in that Rams game, yeah, we can talk about the Colts coming back from a 23 point deficit and taking that game into overtime. But we talked about it last week because people were saying, well, the Colts were able to beat the chiefs last year. They were able to beat the Jags last year. Both of those at home. In fact, I think the Jags game was the last time the Colts won a home game. But they could not follow that up with a win. After the Chiefs, they lost to the Titans at home. After that Jags win, they lost to the Titans on the road. Part of a three-game losing streak after that. The Colts are incapable right now of stringing together good efforts game after game after game. So it was inevitable that they were going to lose that game last week because they played a really good game and beat a good team on the road in Baltimore. But how do the Indianapolis Colts bounce back now from that loss last week? You think they're in a good shape at home against Tennessee, but those losing streaks, seven in a row at home, five in a row against Tennessee, loom large. We'll see if the Colts can overcome those on Sunday.
0: 46862, your text line number 46862. If you have thoughts on Colts Titans, let us know on the text line coming up. On the other side, Notre Dame and Purdue, both on the road. A preview of their matchups for this Saturday. Next, here on Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380 The Fan, 100.9 FM. Caleb Hatch, Justin Kinney with you on a Friday, getting ready for a busy weekend of football. We talk Colts-Titans. Now we talk college football Notre Dame. On the road at Louisville. Purdue at Iowa. This weekend, Notre Dame, another night game, another game against a ranked team. Louisville slipped into the top 25 at 25th. Irish in the midst of, uh, again, four straight late games, four straight ranked opponents. But this one seems like by far the easiest of the bunch. And I I almost want to say I feel like I'm overlooking this Louisville team, but I look at who they played. They don't really have a whole lot going for them offensively. They've not had a strong schedule. Their only notable win was NC State, which Notre Dame took care of on the road earlier in the season. Is it weird that I have like a quiet confidence for Notre Dame in this one?
2: No, I think you made a great point earlier this week. I don't know if it was on air or off air, but Louisville is basically ranked just because they're undefeated. Ah, yes. I they're, think that was off air. They're not a top 25 team. They're ranked because they're 5-0. and, and 0. 0. Yep. And they haven't played anybody. Let's be real. So... Um, for me, when you look at this matchup, is Notre Dame should win this game handily. If Louisville can come out and get off to a fast start, which it has, it has outscored its opponents 34 to nothing in the first quarter this season. If Louisville can do that again, then maybe they can hang around with Notre Dame. But with the Irish coming off an emotional win at Duke, you get by all indications Jaden Greathouse and Jaden Thomas back. The defense is going to be by far the best defensive unit that Louisville has faced all year. I, if Notre Dame plays to its potential, this game is over at halftime, in my opinion.
0: Yeah, I I think this is a game that Notre Dame failed to put the game away last week in the first half. I think that changes this week, and I think Louisville is going to be overmatched, and it's a quarterback they seemingly play every year because Jack Plummer, now the quarterback at Louisville, he was at Purdue in 21. He was at Cal last year, now at Louisville this year. <laughs> Go figure.
2: Yeah, he'll get another shot at Notre Dame, but you look at the the murderer's row that, that Louisville has played. Georgia Tech, Murray State, Indiana, a bad Boston College team. The only win that's noticeable is NC State going to Raleigh and getting a win. That's That's a solid win, but it, it still doesn't move the needle in terms of me looking at Louisville as a big threat for Notre Dame.
0: On well, an NC State program that their transfer quarterback, Brennan Armstrong, who came into this year with a lot of hype, was benched. So Ooh. it's it's not looking good for NC State moving forward this year. A, a program that was off to a great start last year, Devin Leary got hurt. He's since transferred to Kentucky, quarterback there, and they were looking like a potential top there, like a top 10 preseason team last year. He got hurt in that kind of Pushed everything down as far as expectations of what they could do. Meanwhile, Purdue, this to me feels like the game that sets the tone for the rest of the season. You have Tyrone Tracy against his former team. He was a wide receiver. He's now been converted to a running back. Had some success for the Boilers. Boiler running attack really getting going. Uh, Dylan Sin in the Journal-Gazette has a really good article on that at journalgazette.net. Uh, Iowa quarterback Deacon Hill making his first start. You have the... Last Big Ten passing offense in Iowa, again with a new quarterback now. So keep that in mind. You can see second worst passing defense in Purdue. Hmm. Something's got to give there. Iowa 103rd in scoring, um, but twenty in scoring offense, but twenty first in scoring defense nationally. So it, this is an Iowa team that offensively, yeah, you don't have a lot of tape on Deacon Hill. You just have the the limited time he played last week. But you have a guy making his first start, probably going to be nervous early. Purdue's got to find a way to jump up and get a lead to start, and they can have the chance to pull off the road win.
2: You know, one thing that helped Purdue last year in winning the West was winning Big Ten road games. They were able to go to Minnesota and win. Maryland and win. Illinois and win. Of course, IU at the end of the season as well. Four Big Ten road wins last year for Purdue. Their only game this year... So far, on the road, they won in Blacksburg, but this is their first road Big Ten game, and they were road warriors last year in the Big Ten. If they can be that again, they have a good shot at Iowa. And what, what do you say? What's the magic number? Is it is it twenty five? If Purdue can score twenty five <laughs> points, well, that's the magic it, number Iowa, for Iowa. <laughs> Iowa can't reach twenty five <laughs> points, so you look at this and say, what's the magic number for Purdue? If they score twenty five points, they should win at Iowa. I,
0: I'd say if I'm Purdue, if I, I'd go one, I'd say 24, you feel pretty safe. if you get Iowa three, can't
2: score points. If you get three touchdowns in this game, you feel confident if you're yes. Purdue.
0: Yes. Now, the, the only concern, Purdue's passing defense is terrible, as we <laughs> mentioned. So, if this somehow turns into an offensive explosion game because you have a terrible passing offense against a terrible passing defense, I mean... Something's going to give there. It's not going to both be terrible, right? So Purdue's got to find a way to do something there. And again, first career start for Deacon Hill at Iowa. You went from a a transfer who's, what, a fifth year? Very experienced. Had a lot of success at Michigan. To now a a guy who's an unknown. And that's the wild card in this matchup. It either favors Purdue or because you don't know enough, there's not enough tape, it hurts Purdue.
2: Well, it's a crucial stretch for Purdue now with these next four games, with they have a bye week in the middle of them, but you look at the next three, uh, three of the next four are on the road, and you have Ohio State at home. So you're looking at Iowa, Ohio State at ross at Nebraska, at Michigan. If you can find a way to win two of those games, you feel pretty good about getting to bowl eligibility. If somehow you can win three of those games, and be, and, and like a Caleb thinks that Purdue can knock off Ohio state next week, then you're feeling really good if you're Purdue. But if you can go into Iowa city and steal a dub, and you were able to do that on four different opportunities last year on the road in the big 10, then it would be a good win for the Boilermakers tomorrow.
0: Four, six, eight, six, two, your text line number four, six, eight, six, two. Remember you're
2: needing peacock. If you want to watch yes. the Purdue game tomorrow, yes.
0: don't forget. And next week, Peacock this week, Peacock next week. Three straight Peacock
2: games for the Boilers, and I can't. I think there'll be more too by the end of the season. At least one more for Purdue.
0: Coming up next, let's shift to high school football. New Haven at East Noble, our thirteen eighty the fan game of the week. Brett Rump will join us uh, of the Sports Rush from four to six. Also, our play by play voice for high school sports uh, will join us to preview that one and other key area matchups as we, as we inch closer to sectionals. High school, hard to believe it's already gone that fast. We'll talk with Brett next. Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Friday edition of Caleb and Kenny in the morning here on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. We previewed Colts Titans. We previewed college football with Purdue at Iowa, Notre Dame at Louisville this weekend. Time to take a look at what's happening Friday Night Lights action. And Brett Rump joins us on the guest line set to call it all tonight. New Haven and East Noble, our 1380 The Fan Game of the Week. Morning,
2: Brett.
1: Good morning. Does this mean we get CYO previews in the next segment?
2: (laughs) (laughs) We may. We're just going to keep going down the list. Let's see if we have time. I'm going to leave that to Justin. Um And and maybe
0: get in touch with the, our buddy Blitz uh, to to go and check out CYO. Uh, but this week it's a, it's a good one. So East Noble and New Haven, a tough matchup for both these teams. What's going to kind of be the the key thing here? Because it's a East Noble program feels like they've kind of bounced back after a bit of a slower start.
1: Yeah, I think uh, when you look at this matchup, statistically it looks like a dead heat. It's just an absolute uh, pleasure to be going up to Kendallville and being part of that atmosphere East Noble tonight where they'll be playing for perhaps the championship in the NEA. New Haven comes in unbeaten, East Noble just one conference loss and East Noble got a really impressive 35 to nothing win last week on the road at Columbia City to set up this game. Well, New Haven was less than spectacular in a win against Belmont. So, I think this game sets up perfectly. Both teams have been playing good football. You look at the offensive averages. New Haven is scoring 37.4 points, East Noble 36.1. Defensively, New Haven gives up 16.9, East Noble 13.7. I mean, on paper, it looks like it could be a real dogfight. I expect that. We've seen a number of these games in the NE8 already this year. It may ultimately come down to uh, the running game. You've got uh, some spectacular receivers, and you've got, uh, of course, Mylon Graham and Johnny Washington. We talk about them a lot with the New Haven Bulldogs, but I think for East Noble, they're going to have to be able to run the football against this New Haven defense, who actually has been a much better defense than I expected them to be this year. I thought New Haven would be all about offense. It would be shootout after shootout, and they'd have to score more points than their opponent. But that defense has played some pretty good football. They uh, held Columbia City to just a touchdown in that 21-7 win a couple of weeks ago. And uh, it's going to come down to me, once again, to the defense. Uh, but I think the running game is what sets up the defense. For East Noble, they've got to keep the New Haven offense off the field. I think if you have an equal number of plays, there's too many big play breakers for the New Haven Bulldogs. But if, new, if uh, East Noble can get uh, Tyson Reinbolt. In that running game, we've got a trio of running backs that have combined for over 1,400 yards. They get that running game going. They're able to possess the football, win the time of possession game, uh, also win the field position game and put New Haven in some tough spots, put some pressure on New Haven quarterback Donovan Williams from deep in his own end. Uh, I, I think this could be one heck of a game.
2: Brett staying in the NE8, another big one. We, we look at Columbia City and traditionally this second half of the schedule is put up or shut up for them. Last year they put up in winning the uh, NE8 and and breezing through the regular season. The last two weeks we've seen Columbia City struggle, particularly last week in that shutout loss at home to East Noble. Battled New Haven hard in week six before falling. Now they have to go to Leo And the Lions have looked pretty good since that loss to New Haven a couple weeks ago, allowing just seven points over the last three weeks combined. Can Columbia City get back on the winning track, or is this another challenge out of reach of the Eagles going to Leo?
1: Isn't it funny how Leo has played the season almost in the shadows of some of the other teams in their own conference, and yet you know they're just a, a couple of extra points away perhaps from being a team that's unbeaten. Uh, they're that good, and, you know, they shouldn't be in the shadow of anyone. Uh, you know, they've, they've played some great football, and for Columbia City, it's been a rough couple of weeks, like you mentioned. For years, we had the same history with Columbia City. They get out, run the table through five games, and then maybe not even win any of the remaining four. And, uh, you, you know, for Columbia City, we're right back into that where they've lost Two two weeks in a row, and now they've got a really tough road trip into Leo. I think for Columbia City, the tough thing is this, as this program matures under Brett Fox, is to be a little more steady, Eddie, and never believe you're as good as you may think you are, and never believe you're as bad as maybe a score reflects. That's what they have to overcome right now because they got beat thirty-five to nothing to East Noble and that can creep into the heads of guys that are 15, 16, 17 years old, and they can start to lose their confidence. What they've got to understand is on any given day, it could be the other team's night, maybe it wasn't your night that night, they've got to be able to bounce back, do what they do well, find a way to get the ball to stratton Fuller, let him make plays, uh, establish the run, win the game of physicality. I just think that overall... Leo is better than Columbia City. I think Leo is going to win this game and, uh, and maintain pace in the NEA.
2: Brett, Looking over at the SAC, maybe not a marquee game on the schedule, but wanted to ask you about Snyder and Bishop DeWanger. Dwanger loses that game last week to Bishop Lures in overtime. Snyder rolls over uh, Northrop last week. When we look at the opportunities for Dwanger, we've seen them knock off Homestead. They were close against Lures. They battled Carroll for the better part of three quarters. They knocked off Northside. Uh, it's it's a It's a tough team, but I don't know if they have what it takes to be one of the elite teams in the SAC. But can they put a scare into Snyder tonight?
1: You know, it's interesting. This game would have been a matchup or prelude of a Class 5A sectional, perhaps. But now, with Bishop Dwenger dropping into 4A, you have a three-team sectional in 5A. And so for Bishop Dwenger, I think this is just about a good challenge. Try to win the game. But ultimately, what they need to do is they need to start stepping up their game and preparing for what's ahead in the postseason. They're going into a Class 4A sectional where most of the toughest opponents are probably going to be a couple of the NE8 schools. And, uh, and so they have to kind of perfect their game over these last couple of weeks. I don't know if, if Bishop Dwenger is good enough to knock off Snyder. I think Snyder's size, experience, and they balance, I think, Bishop Dwenger and where Dwenger's always had an advantage over opponents, and that's the physicality and the line of scrimmage. But, uh, but I, I think for Bishop Dwenger, what they've really got to focus on is uh, what are the things that we need to perfect in our execution so that we're playing our best football in two weeks. It may not be about getting a win, and if they get a win, great. Uh, but if you're Bishop Dwenger, I think what you want to leave with is the fact that we played good, solid football, didn't make mistakes that hurt ourselves, executed the things we wanted to execute, were fundamental defensively, had defensive discipline as far as being in our gaps. You have to do that against Snyder. Uh, When they run that counter play or they run off tackle, you've got to maintain discipline. You've got to contain. And so if Bishop Dwinger plays that way, I think Bishop Dwinger leaves the field feeling like it's a victory because it's a step toward the ultimate goal they've got right now, which is postseason. They move down to 4A. And it may give them a better chance to win, but they've also got to prove that that was the right move for Bishop Twanger was to move into 4A because they did have to uh, petition the IHSAA to get that move to happen. So um, I-, I think Snyder's better team. I think uh, uh, Uriah Buchanan is, is probably uh, the best running back in the SAC, and I think he'll prove it against a pretty good running team in Bishop Dwenger, who has found a little bit of their passing game of late, and that's another one of those steps for Bishop Dwenger in prepping for the postseason, is they've got to show some balance offensively. They've struggled kind of throughout the season to really establish any type of passing game or passing game consistency. Uh, I think they're going to want to at least throw the ball some. They've got the big tight end. They've got uh, Minnix on the outside. They've got to find ways to create space for those guys and be able to get them the football, provide the protection. But, uh, but I think for Bishop Dwanger, it may not be about a win or a loss tonight. It may be about, let's execute our best potential game and see where, where the cards fall. I, I still think Snyder's going to end up winning the game, though.
0: Brett Rump joins us previewing week eight of area high school football, just a couple of weeks away from sectional play beginning. One of the other intriguing matchups uh, is Wayne at Northside. First to 40 wins this one. I mean, we expect a ton of offense in this matchup.
1: Yeah, I would expect both teams uh, are going to light up the scoreboard. I think, uh, you know, Northside is probably still trying to develop the offense and kind of complete the offensive playbook with Bronte Johnson, a quarterback. Of course, they put him into that position. Uh, Then he ended up missing a week, and now he's back. And I think it takes a little time to kind of settle in with exactly what you want to do and how you can build your offense around your quarterback strengths. And K.J. Johnson has plenty of strength. Um, You know, for Wayne, we've talked about it all year. They've got multiple playmakers. They don't rely on one guy. Um, You know, I think North side may have a slight advantage in this one, but again, I think it's going to be one of those where you'd be more likely to take the over than the under.
2: Brad, before we let you go, I want to ask you about the, the hot topic in the area this week about the SAC. Everybody wanted non-conference matchups. They got them this year. Now some people are salty that Bishop Lewers can win at least a share of the SAC without playing Carroll or Snyder this season. What side are you on in terms of if it's fair or not for Bishop Lewers to win the league without taking on two of the conference's best?
1: Well, first of all, you can't have it both ways. If you're going to play non-conference games, you've got to do something about altering the SAC schedule because you're not going to play everybody. That's just the facts. And I think overall, playing non-conference games is good for the conference. And so in, in my mind, that trumps... Any discrepancies you may have as far as what the difficulty of schedule might be for a particular team, yes, Bishop Lewers does get a break. Uh, Bishop Lewers doesn't have to play Carolyn Snyder this year. But on the other hand, in many years, we've had the teams that are right now positioned in the large division that have run the table. And, uh, and so it gives Bishop Lewers opportunity. I think what you've you've got to look at is Bishop Lewers still plays three teams from the big side that are all bigger schools than them, and then they play four teams from their side Oh, that are all bigger schools than them. So let's give Bishop Lewers some credit where credit is due. They're the only Class 2A school in the entire conference, and everybody they play every Friday night is going to be a bigger school than they are. And so I, I think, you know, let's not discredit what they've been able to do, especially with the way they scheduled non-conference and ran into two of the best teams in the, uh, the NEA. Uh, in fact, um, you know, if we want to get a uh, scouting report, uh, maybe we should have uh, asked, asked uh, Kyle Lindsay a scouting report for our game tonight. But uh, I think Bishop Lewis deserves credit for where they're at what they've accomplished and yeah it's a little fluky with the schedule but i think the benefits outweigh uh any of the, the liabilities and so i congratulate lures on the season that they've had
0: brett rump host of the sports rush this afternoon four to six live on location at east noble uh up in kindleville plus the parkview sports medicine high school football tailgate pregame show also live there from six to seven and then brett and Shannon Griffith on the call. East Noble New Haven kick off at seven o'clock here tonight on thirteen eighty the fan and one hundred point nine FM. Brad, appreciate the time. Good luck with the game tonight and next week. We'll be able to talk about sectional matchups. Pretty crazy. Yeah,
1: yeah, we've got that this weekend. And by the way, I am officially volunteering if they are looking for a pork burger. Uh, taster, I will I will definitely offer my services. <laughs>
0: that is Brett. Joining us, Brett, thanks for coming on. Thanks, guys. That's Brett Rump with us. We'll be back on the other side to wrap things up and put a bow on this show on a Friday. Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380 The Fan, 100.9 FM. Some gin blossoms here on a Friday as we wrap things up for the week. Caleb Hatch, Justin Kinney, and no monkey business here. Momo the ah. monkey was captured in Indianapolis. The the saga is over. So a a a potus monkey, I believe that's how you say it.
2: So um, where so was he uh somebody owned him?
0: Yeah, it, like it, you don't need a permit to own the monkey, but the the owner apparently had posted on Facebook that the monkey was missing. Um even said do not approach. Call police. <laughs> don't approach do spot Momo. Momo.
2: Um, now, captured I saw Thursday a, morning. I saw a clip with him just like running through a neighborhood. Yes.
0: Running through. They, yards. Can, they can run up to 30 miles an hour. He was booking. Yes, very fast. But uh one of the TV stations, uh, Channel 13 in Indy spoke with the brother Momo's owner, confirmed the monkey is healthy, came right to him when Momo saw his toy and blanket. <laughs> <laughs> so that's the toy good news blanket. there.
2: That's how we all are. You see your toy and blanket, and you just yep. want to go to it. Yep. I am shocked that you don't need. A permit, a right? A permit. Now, the owner Alex has been cited for monkey chasing and approaching, whatever that means. That's a very specific, <laughs> okay, citation. Um, yeah, uh, I'm shocked that you don't need a uh, permit, like we said.
0: Yeah, that is glad the, that Momo's back home. The most surprising part of all of it, but they're typically found on the grasslands of Africa, but instead they're found in the suburban grasslands <laughs> of Indianapolis.
2: <laughs> A little, little far away from the Savannas of yes. Africa.
0: Meanwhile, yes. in other news, McRib is back. Remember they had the, the farewell tour last year? Of course it was coming back. Did you yeah. ever buy no. that this was actually the ending? Because no, I certainly did not. not. Um, coming back this fall. Full have, disclosure. have not said where and exactly when.
2: Full disclosure. To my recule- recollection. I have never had a McRib. Really? Never had one. I I gotta be honest, simple. it it doesn't look appetizing to me. It yeah. I
0: you know it it reminds me of something they offered in like school lunch growing <laughs> yeah, up. Yeah, yeah. But better than that. And I still like I, I will I will get it if it's available, I will admit. I feel like it's one of those things people
2: either love it or hate it. I mean i don't hate it i just am indifferent to it but i just to me it doesn't look appetizing to me but i know to other people they uh cherish this time of year when the mcribs are out
0: yes in fact twitter poll question of the day putting up right now caleb kinney 1380 do you like the mcrib sandwich i cannot know. answer because on i've the, never had on the one. poll question just doesn't look good. So you can you can ruminate over that over the weekend. That's our that's our hard hitting topic. That's we're going <laughs> for, into the weekend. The day. With. That's right. That's right. Thanks to Brett Rump for Justin Kinney. I am Caleb Hatch. Enjoy all the football this weekend. Finally, football fall weather is here. We'll be back and talk with you on Monday morning at seven. Until then, Dan Patrick Show coming up next. The herd with Colin Coward at noon. Indiana Sports Beat with Jim Coyle from three to four. And the Sports Rush with Brett Rump live at East Noble this afternoon here on 1380 The Fan in 100.9 FM. Have a great weekend.